Welcome to another exciting episode of Adventures and DevOps. I am your solo host for the day, Jonathan Hall, but I'm excited to have with me Adam Jacob. Welcome, Adam. Hi. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm kind of great. It's a little early. It's 730, but it's like early in California. Yeah. And like, it's kind of nice. Got some you coffee? Know? Like it's like fall happened. I got yeah. some coffee. Awesome. I'm like, it's good. I'm good. Cool. Adam, would you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, what you do, uh, where you work maybe, or don't work if that's the case? Just introduce <laughs> us to what you do. <laughs> sure. I, uh, I'm, I'm Adam. I do work. I'm the, uh, I'm the CEO of System Initiative, um, which is a company that's sort of on a mission to rebuild DevOps from the ground up. I previously was the CTO for Chef. Um, okay. And I was the co-founder of Chef. I wrote Chef originally. Um, and before that, I was a systems administrator, which is kind of still what I feel like in my heart. Mm. You know, like if you if you really push on me, the thing that I most I identify with as a technology human is as a systems administrator. Like what I do is build is build complex systems in production and think about the tools and frameworks that help people to do that. Mm-hmm. So you talk about rebuilding DevOps from the ground up. That means tearing down silos and building better ones, right? It does mean that. But, you know, one of the things that's happened sort of, I think, throughout the DevOps movement was we had this real focus for a long time on the culture instead of the tools. You've heard Mm -hmm. lots of people say, like, it's the culture that matters. Whatever tools you like or whichever tools you pick, it's all good. Just, but like, get the religion. And then the rest sort of flows from from religion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's kind of bullshit. Um, I think the truth about culture is that it's, it's what we do. It's not what we say. So it's, 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 and what we do all day in our work is deeply informed by the tools that we choose, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the way that we choose them and how we put them together is actually a manifestation of the culture we want. Um, we're making a choice about what we do. Um, you know, you see this in programming languages all the time. I don't love go, not because go is like, a manifestly bad language. It's it's obviously not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not for me. <laughs> you know, like culturally, mm-hmm. when I'm in the Go community and they're like, you know what's awesome? Explicit error handling everywhere. I'm like, not awesome. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want that at all. Um, and that's a that's a cultural choice. That's me making an aesthetic decision to like join to to be a part of what they think is aesthetically beautiful or, or not. Um, and so when we talk about rebuilding DevOps from the ground up, for me, it's because I think a lot of the, a lot of the aspirations that we had as a movement, you know, where we were like, let's get everybody in the world to be able to deploy tens, hundreds, thousands of times a day with a fast flow of changes in a highly collaborative environment. And let's do that in the biggest companies in the world. You know, most companies are stuck in the middle. They're, you know, they're deploying once a week, which is still better than what we were doing in 2008. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's not like we haven't made progress. Um, but, but broadly the way that we've decided to build the system itself, the whole flow of like, how do we move work through the system? How do we use these tools? How do we plug them together? Um, is sort of leading us to mediocre outcomes. So when we talk about rebuilding DevOps, that's what we mean is like, we need to actually step back and think about that system more holistically 
and see if we can come up with a way to do the work that provides better outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I identify with a lot of that, except for the part about not liking Go. I love Go. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, we could still be friends, right? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see how the rest of this conversation goes. It depends on how much you love Go, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, I'm curious, like, how, how do you, how have you re envisioned DevOps then? I mean, or, or what, what's the alternative to what we've been doing that isn't maybe so great? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of, of things. I, we've been working on system initiative for four years um, and sort of the seeds of it predate that. You know, they sort of dovetail into the, the tail end of my time at Chef. Um, and uh, to me, the first thing was just a recognition that, you know, how do I best express it? Well, I'll just tell, I'll tell a story. So when I left Chef, um, the moment that I decided I needed to leave Chef was I was in this, and I've told this story before, so, um, but, but essentially... I was in this meeting with a bunch of people at a big car company uh, and they were all like high level technical executives and their global CTO was like, here's my hardest automation problem. Here's my like DevOps problem. What do I do? How do I fix it? So I went to a whiteboard and I sketched out what the process is. I was like, here's how your team should work. Here are the tools they're going to use. Here's how you're going to stitch them together. And if you do this and you work this system roughly this way, it's, it's going to solve your problem here. It's going to work. And when I turned around, he high-fived me, you know? He was like, yeah, great job. And all I wanted to do was go home, you know? I got no, I had no dopamine at all um, from that moment, which you should, right? It's a good moment when that happens to you. And what you do is like, you know, you're a startup CTO and you're like selling software. Like that's, you're supposed to feel good about that moment. And I didn't. And part of why was that, I knew that the complexity of the implementation, even of what I had drawn for him, all the different tools he had to stitch together, all the subtle details in the way that they needed to be operated in order for the teams to actually move at the velocity we wanted them to move at, all of the, all of the social pieces that needed to change based on how those tools worked, like those were all going to get in their way. It's not that he couldn't understand on a whiteboard how it would work. He did immediately. Right. It didn't. It was you could do it in 20 minutes. Um, the problem was that when it came time to actually do it, no, like we you were going to make some kind of decision that that caused the whole system to not work as efficiently or as well as it possible as it could. And that was what was going to lead us to mediocre outcomes. It wasn't that like chef sucked or, you know, Terraform sucks or, you know, their choice of CI system is untenable. Right. Each individual tool was doing its a good job. And in fact, over the last 10 or 15 years, like we've rebuilt each layer of the stack multiple times, right? Um, so we've made a ton of progress at each individual piece of the puzzle. Um, but the problem isn't the pieces of the puzzle are sucky. <laughs> and if we just made the pieces better, it would work. The problem is the actual system, the way we ask people to work, isn't designed for the crux of the problem. And the crux of the problem is how do you get those people to collaborate together on their problem? How do you take experts? Diff of different fields and say, work together to solve this problem. Here's, here's an outcome we're looking for. How do you work together to get there? And the tooling pulls us apart. Um, and you know, if you read the Dora reports and you look at the recommendations, at the heart of those recommendations is always collaboration. It's like, how closely together can you get with you know, other systems administrators, with other, can I call them that? Uh, other DevOps engineers or other, uh, other developers <clears throat> or security personnel or 
network engineers or whatever, the closer you get to those people and the more you can collaborate in real time with them, the better the outcomes, the faster we ship. All those things start to happen. But we don't design systems for collaboration. In most people's DevOps workflows, the place that they collaborate is code review, right? Which it's in the name that it's not collaborative, right? It's review. Like you write a thing, I look at it, right? And as the complexity creeps up, the quality of the review goes down, right? Like all of those things, like point the finger at the fact that what's wrong here is the, is the design of the whole system. And so one of the things that I, one of the reasons I'm like out in the world now, again, sort of talking to people about DevOps as much as I can is because I, to your question of like, what's better? What do we do differently? You know, I, I certainly have a thesis about how we could design a better system. And that's, that's what system initiative is. But what I really think needs to happen is a burst of creativity from the actual DevOps movement itself. Like, like, I have an idea about what I think might be a better answer. But there should be five more. Yeah, like, like, we should, we actually need like a second wave of DevOps innovation of people just being like, yes, yes. In fact, we know that if you stitch together all these tools the way we've been stitching them together the last six or seven years, we're going to get mediocre outcomes for the majority. Therefore, it's time to break some rules. Something's wrong. And we got to find a thread and tug on it until we see what pops out the other side, because we know we should be getting better outcomes than we are. I often say that uh, you know, it, DevOps has become such a almost meaningless term, a lot like... Yeah. Uh, words like agile and and i don't know <laughs> synergy and all the business buzzwords right yeah um yeah, I, often, synergy. Yeah, I often say that uh a simple litmus test for whether you're using devops correctly is whether or not you can replace it in a sentence with word collaboration and everything you just said really sort of drives that home i think that the collaboration totally. is the key yeah, uh, and always was you know, yeah, if you go back exactly. to watching you know, John and Paul Hammond at that Flickr talk at Velocity uh, where they were doing 10 deploys a day, you know, the way that John and Paul put that presentation together is roughly the way that we do DevOps now. I went back and looked at a presentation that predates DevOps that I gave at the Web 2.0 Expo, rest in peace, about building automated infrastructure in 2007. And, uh, and it, was, it laid out how to build a fully automated infrastructure. Um, and it was, you know, whatever, 14 different parts of the of your infrastructure. It was, you know, operating system deployment and monitoring and trending and configuration management and identity management and backup and restoration. And uh, I could keep going. All the things, right? Um, and, uh, and that presentation is essentially still roughly what we're asking people to do. <laughs> you can swap pieces. Um, but we're, and we're roughly doing it the way that I told you to do it in 2007. Like it hasn't actually changed that much from 2007 to 2023 in terms of the, the, the way, the culture, the way we actually ask people to do the work. That's interesting, right? Um, I, don't, I don't think that's because we had it nailed in 2007. In 2007, the number of people who were actually doing that work was quite small, right? Um, and, and that we found a path that worked and then that became how the industry thinks about it is amazing and I'm so proud of it. But we made it up, you know, like, like, we just were like, I think here's a way. Um, and, and we now know if you sort of extend that out from, you know, John and Paul working closely together at Flickr, you know, they're, they were right next to each other all the time. They were, they were literally right there. Um, and the tools they built together and their teams built together 
were designed to reinforce the social system they wanted. And it did, you know, like if you wanted to deploy, you had to talk to people. Like there was a conversation that happened. There was a, there was a way that that flowed. And I think now we're in an era where we can think about rebuilding those tools with collaboration sort of at the center. Um, and, and if we do, I think what you'll get is dramatically better outcomes. The hard part is that if you use the existing systems to build it, you kind of regress to the mean. Because, you know, if you think about why can't we be better, more collaborative in complex environments, well, infrastructure as code takes all of the dynamic truth of our infrastructure and then turns it into source code, which then becomes a huge base of source code on its own, which then you need to understand the cloud provider, you need to understand the infrastructure as code abstraction, you need to understand the code review piece. And then we ask a developer, yo, pile into this new code base that's that in and of itself is hundreds, perhaps tens or hundreds of thousands of lines long in a language you don't write in all day. Or maybe it is if you're using Pulumi. And then but still has a behavior you don't really understand with systems that are foreign to you. And just, you know, take a pass <laughs> at telling me whether or not this is going to work for your application. Or, or even perhaps sometimes worse, go to the like platform engineering team and then request what you want from them via an API or like a ticket, which is basically what we were doing in 2006, right? It's, it's like a weird regression. And, and, and then let them spin it up for you in the hopes that you can ignore it, which you can't. And so then it won't work or it won't be fit for purpose. And then you got to spin around. And that whole conversation happens in source code and languages we don't really share or really understand. Um, like, but it's rational how you get there, right? If we say that the only way to automate it is to start out as source code, well, then it's kind of obvious we use code review. It's kind of obvious we use uh, that we got to stitch together our production deployment pipelines in the way that we do, right? Like a lot of our decisions fall, fall out from each other. So what, uh, I mean, maybe we can tackle one small piece to give an example of, of where you think this could or, or should go. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about code review several times. Like, what, mm. what's the alternative to, to me cre- spending a, a, a day or, or whatever, writing a feature, create a pull request, send it to you, and then wait for you to look at it? What, what, what are the yeah. alternatives to this? So the way system initiative works is rather than having folks write code initially as the source of truth, what we're doing instead is building a big simulation of the infrastructure in your application. So we're basically building a bunch of digital twins. Um, and then at the technical level, like way deep under the hood, it's a big hypergraph of functions. So basically think about it as like every single property is actually the result of a function execution that has dynamic inputs. So kind of like reactor view where, right, if, if there's an input to the function that changes, we automatically rerun the function, recompute the value, and then stick it as an output on this graph. The side effect of all of that is that we can then build new user interfaces on top of the simulation. So, right, if you try to build a new user interface on top of AWS and use that API, you're going to have a bad time because, you know, the API takes forever, right? It might take you, it might take 10 minutes to provision something, 20 minutes to get a Kubernetes cluster, for example, right? Um, but by building a simulation, we can give you kind of real-time feedback on whether or not what you're building looks like it would work or not. Or, uh, and we can qualify it immediately. We can infer configuration. There's a bunch we can do. And we do that by putting like a visual interface on top of that model. So you can define the model in code if you want to, or you define it in, through this visual interface. But either way, when you're doing that work, what you're doing is creating like a change set 
to reality. So there's we're tracking like the baseline of what's real. And then we're letting you propose a change on top of it. That happens in this visual interface you can see. And then you can invite other people into it. And the interface is multiplayer. So it works more like Notion or Figma and less like, you know, your editor and GitHub. So when you and it could even do things like say, hey, uh, if you've if you if this pull request touches the production database, if this change set touches a production database, then you, we need to summon a, D, a DBA to look at your change. Right. Um, and that person can then come into that change set and get the same direct visualization that you got. They can look at the list of, well, here's all the things that changed. Here's all the actions that are proposed to run. Here's the delta between this and reality. And we can keep that thing alive based on the simulation tracking reality, right? In addition to what you've said you want. So you can think of like automatic rebasing as one way to think about it, right? Um, and so suddenly, we can move you from code review to reviewing a simulation. <laughs> so you can bring people in and be like, well, does the simulation say that it would work? Like, what are the impacts of the changes that we've made, right? Um, and the side effect of that is, is you can get real-time collaboration again. You could get people's voices over the top of a model, and we can interact with it in real time. You could summon an application developer, and they could be like, oh, it's not working. I don't know why. And they could summon an ops person. They could look at the model, and they could change it together, look at the results and what actions it would take, and then apply them. Um, and real actual collaboration on the actual work in real time. What has the reception been to this, this, uh, I don't know, you call it a new paradigm, this new approach? Yeah, I mean, it's very early days. So, and we're careful to say so, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a systems person. And like, when people show up in my life, and they're like, it's going to change everything, throw all your stuff away. Like, I don't really believe those people most of the time. Um, so we're very careful not to do that. But, um, but what we do have is a very compelling, uh, model of how this system could work and you can use it and play with it and be like hey i see where this is going and i see why it's cool and there's a couple of of obstacles to overcome but over overall the response has been overwhelmingly positive um people who try it tend to be like oh that's way cooler than i thought like that's it like works much better than i thought that it could and then you start getting into conversations about like well how are you gonna how how's the visual part of this gonna scale you know will this scale up to a huge infrastructure and then we start talking about all the different ways that you can scale huge visual tools. We can start talking about layers and we can start talking about collapsing information and we can start talking about building more abstract models. Like there's a lot that we've thought about that sort of moves in there. And so, yeah, what we've seen is people being pretty stoked. Um, the alternative, there's always people who are like, nah. Um, and the people who are like, nope, you know, it tends to be because they're like, you'll pry the source code from my cold dead hands, you know? Um, and, and that's cool. I get it. Um, I think the, um, but, but conceptually, the response has been pretty, pretty fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking at your website. Yeah. And you have a little animation there and you have a video I haven't watched because we're recording right now. Yeah, no um, But like at a high level, it reminds me of the hype around visual programming back in the like 90s totally uh which didn't really work right it, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i, I think but did, i think yeah. there's like one or two languages that still exist that are that are used sure like scratch. that way yeah but yeah by large it, it, it was a failed paradigm yes uh, so t explain to me why this is not just 
superficially the same. You know, what, what's what's the difference? Superficially, it looks the same. Tell me that it's not. Yeah. What's, what's the difference? So there's a there's a couple. So one is you're mm-hmm. not doing visual programming. So in System Initiative, there's like another little tab there that looks like a little beaker. Mm-hmm. If you click it, what you're in is an IDE, um, and that IDE is allowing you to write functions on this hypergraph. So like okay. it's a fully programmable system. There's no there's no secrets. It's a power tool built for power users. That's the n- number one way that the visual programming stuff failed us was that mm-hmm. it was usually designed to make programming more accessible for the layman. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't really designed for power users to do power user things because it's like a lot, a lot harder to yeah. build great tools for power users than it is to to simplify. So I'm not on a mission to simplify DevOps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think that doing that's a mistake. Like mm-hmm. DevOps works when you have people working at the height of their expertise together on hard problems. So you have to actually build interfaces that people at the height of their expertise are like, this thing is a chainsaw, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be it has to be the best thing that they've ever touched for the problem that's that, that's at hand if you want them to use it because mm-hmm. they get to choose what tools they use because they're experts. Um, so one of the things about it is that, right, the fundamentals is this hypergraph of functions. So the whole system is programmable. So, and it's programmable in the same way that like, you know, if you watch those old, like Alan Kay videos of those, of like Xerox Park, and they like pull up a small talk machine and they change how the operating system works by clicking a button. It's like that, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool. Um, and the visual component of it what we're doing there isn't forcing you to use a visual composer. Um, what we're doing is expressing relationships, not programming. So you're not mm-hmm. using that diagram to like, to, to express the programming of infrastructure as code. Instead, what you're doing is saying, there's a relationship between this Docker image and the Kubernetes deployment that runs it. And the AMI that we bake that has that Docker image in it at the same time. And I want to express that relationship by drawing this line, this edge, between two things visually. And that edge represents information, right? So what it's actually representing is a flow of data um, in this hypergraph of functions. It's a literal input to a function, which then is going to then generate new information. So for example, the demo app that we have people do is deploy a little little cat adoption website to EC2. And then it lives in a container. And, uh, and one of the fun things that it does is if you expose a port on that container, and then you wire that container to a load balancer in AWS, what it does is automatically infer that what you want to do is load balance that port on that pool, right? Hmm. Um, and you don't have to think about it. And if you change that port number in the Docker image, it'll automatically change everywhere that that value needs to, even though that value has very different syntax between Docker and mm-hmm. AWS, right? They're mm-hmm. expressed completely differently. That's because there's this big hypergraph of functions that are doing all this transformation under the hood. And all that stuff is programmable to you. So we're really careful that what you, the way you interact with the system as a user tends to be in the most effective way we can build it. So we're building the, <clears throat> the most effective interface we can for letting experts interact. And then when it comes time to actually change how the system behaves, straight to source code. How much is doable right now with the system you have now? I mean, you've talked about a lot of things aren't there yet. It's some of it's aspirational, but what? Yeah, what is concrete right now? Yeah, so right now there's a couple of things. There's there's maybe thirty different resources, primarily AWS, that are that are pretty well modeled. We're putting a lot of effort into 
making the experience of authoring new assets. So getting new things into the model to be really good so that we can let people collaborate more directly, both with us and with each other. There's a little contribute button in the UI. If you click it, it'll like, you know, the goal is that you can click it and it will then just like submit it to a module index and then you can share those things really directly. Mm -hmm. um, but there's some work to do on just making that experience as great as we can because the way the platform works like really does benefit from it being embedded in the product. But building a great software development experience inside the product is like is also hard work. So we're doing a lot there. Um, another is, um, and those assets are at varying degrees of completeness, right? So, you know, the first things we chose were like deploying containers on EC2 because it's sort of fun to model um, and has a lot of externalities, but it's sort of small enough to get your fingers around. But like yesterday, we were tinkering around with like modeling Lambda functions, right? Um, but, you know, things like IAM rules, a lot of those things are there. Um, the big hurdle right now is a bit of performance and, um, and sort of production suitability. So we know that the way that we're running some of that engine has some problems. So we're sort of in mid-engine rebuild, basically, to, to make that engine more efficient. Um, but that's really the big thing that's in the way of people using it in production right now. Mm -hmm. um, the other is sort of secrets. So the way that those functions execute and get their authentication requires a little bit of, let's just call it manual intervention, um, that is being replaced. So you'll be able to like actually put secrets in the system and then flow them through safely. So there's mm -hmm. a couple of those things that are really what's in the way. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, progress is fast. So every couple of, you can see every week if you hang out on our Discord channel, like there's like a long report of what happened last week. There's new demos all the time, like mm -hmm. tons of content happening on YouTube. Like it's it's moving pretty quickly. Um, cool. But yeah, and when it's ready, we'll say so really loudly. If you go to the website, we say really clearly it's not ready, right? We're yeah. like, you got to want to come on the exploratory journey with us today, which people do want to come and it's so fucking fun. So yeah. if you're one of those people and you're like, oh, I want to I want to hang out here and do this, like come hang out with us because it's super fun. And the website is systeminit.com for anybody mm -hmm. who's, who wants to go hang out and, and check it out. Yeah. What, what's the learning curve like? Uh, if, if somebody's hearing about this for the first time, realistically, how long will it take them to start doing something, let, let's say interesting, since it's not really ready yet, but how long will it yeah. take them to be doing something interesting? Not very long. So, so today, um, you sign up for an account, you download a launcher, and then it launches system initiative and Docker <laughs> containers on your local gear. Um, eventually, that'll be multi-tenant SaaS, and mm -hmm. you'll be able to just directly get started. But from the moment that you start to like deploying that CAD adoption website in EC2 with like you know new SSH keys and EC2 instances and load balancers and security groups and like all the things that you need regions, like you can do that in minutes. So, you know, there's a tutorial that walks you through it in sort of painstaking detail because we're trying to mm -hmm. teach you how all the pieces work. But once you, it, but if you know how to do it, like it minutes to, to mock out one of those things in like real detail and see that it would work and then apply it. So the, the getting started loop is pretty short already and sort of getting tighter. Um, the thing you have to do though, you do have to know what you want. Mm -hmm. So you know, like I said before, it's not a tool that is designed to for like a citizen developer who's like, I don't know how easy two works. I don't understand AWS. I don't know what all this infrastructure is. I can just come to this thing and it guides me with with guide rails. And that's not what's happening at all. Right. <laughs> it's like, here's a big pile of all the services, you know, 
They're modeled in full fidelity. So they've got all the knobs and buttons that AWS expresses. Um, you know, one of the cool things that you can do with system initiative because of the way the model works, there's a lot of API service in AWS that you can't see in tools like Terraform because oh, the declarative yeah. model hides them from you. <laughs> so things like, you know, updating tags in a non-destructive way, which sounds obvious, like that's super easy in system initiative. Um, you can just update the tags and then call an action that is update the tags and then it'll do it for you. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so there's a lot of that stuff sort of hiding inside the system that makes it pretty approachable and easy. Um, we've seen very few people bounce. In some of the early user studies, you know, we would have conversations like, it feels slow. And we'd ask them, okay, is that because it's slow? And when they thought about it, the answer is no, <laughs> right? When it's like, well, how do I go from, from like, if I had to open an editor and do this work, like it would take much longer than it's taking me to do it in system initiative. The difference is that I know my editor really well. And so there's this like moment, mm. there is this bumpy moment where you're like, huh, like I have all these tools in my tool bag and suddenly I have this other thing that does everything that my old tools were doing, but does them very differently than I was. And there's a bit of cognitive shear there for sure. Yeah. Um, um, but I think overall the experience is pretty, is pretty solid. Cool. Uh, so I see on the front of your website, let me get back to it here. Um, on the front page is a section about open source. Talk, talk yeah. to me about how open source relates to this. Is this an open source project? I see you're going to be charging for it after the beta is over, presumably. We are. Um, what, what's your business model as, as it relates to open source? Yeah. So um, it's essentially the Red Hat model. Um, and I can describe that sort of in more mm -hmm. detail. But what we do, System Initiative is a product that System Initiative, the company, System Initiative Inc. makes. Um, and all the software that is in that product is open source under the Apache license. Not some of it, all of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someday we're going to write billing integrations, right? Those billing integrations will be open source. Like, none of it's going to be proprietary. Um, okay. But we reserve the right to build System Initiative. So the product we make is System Initiative. The, we distribute it under our own proprietary terms, right? So we decide like what the price is. If you want System Initiative from me, you're going to pay me for it or you're going to accept it under the terms that I want to give it to you. That may be $0, right? I may be like, hey, there's a free tier, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the software is all open source. So if you, Jonathan, are like, that's amazing. I love System Initiative. I don't like Adam's terms not a fan of the way that those terms exist, then what you're going to do is create a new distribution of system initiative. You'll call it Jonathan Town. And yeah. you'll distribute Jonathan Town. You can take all the same software I do. You want to run a SaaS just like I run a SaaS? You compete with me? Go ahead. I can't wait to see Jonathan Town in the world. What I want from you in that instance is to collaborate with me upstream. Like, I want to build that thing together. Uh, and do that work together as a community um, and that'll which will make us stronger um, so yeah how we monetize it is i sell a product system initiative you can buy it from me for money we're going to be really good at building it and running it we also want anyone who wants to use system initiative for whatever reason they want to use it to do that um, yeah. and that's going to make the whole pie bigger <clears throat> for everyone and that's what's going to make us a giant company. Um, awesome. And 
that that alignment to that flywheel is very important to us. Um, so, so yeah, our plan is to open source all of the software forever um, and never have any of it be proprietary. How do you, or maybe you don't get, but in Apple the future, how could you dog food this system? Like, can you build system initiative using system initiative? I mean, yes and no. So it's not, to your question about it being not a visual programming paradigm, like, yeah. you know, a lot of the backend services are written in Rust. And yeah. the UI is written in Vue and TypeScript. And like, there is an editor, like a code editor in System uh -huh. Initiative, and it does have change sets. And I suppose you could try to like, bang it into shape in a way that allow you to develop System Initiative with System Initiative, but like, probably not. Um, I think what you will be able to do, and what we already are doing, is using System Initiative to run the SaaS that is System Initiative, right? Yeah. So that's totally correct. Like, that's absolutely what we're going to do, right? Because that's mm -hmm. the exact kind of work that you want people using System Initiative to do. Um, so 100%, that's how internally we're, we work. Um, and I, the early returns on that are that it's, you know, can I swear? Is swearing cool? It's fucking sick. But it's already happened. It's, it's, oh, uh, it already did happen. Well, yeah, sorry, I should yeah. have asked before I did it. But uh, um, <laughs> sorry, editor, do you have to bleep it If it's a problem, out? we'll bleep it out. I don't know if it's yeah. a problem. <laughs> anyway, it's sick. It's awesome. And I think the, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think eventually you'll see people using system initiative to run system initiative. Um, yeah. And, you know, to me in open source, the part that's most important as it relates to open source is really just that if, if this is as big a shift as I believe it can be, like, I think we're really right about how this model works and what it can, the change it can sort of make on our day-to-day -day lives and on the way we express this culture that we all love. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, it can't, <clears throat> it can't just be about me. Um, mm -hmm. It can't just be about system initiative, the company making money. It will. And hopefully it makes a ton of it and is life-changing <laughs> for everyone involved. Like, yeah. I'm very clear that that's what I want. And... Um, that's going to happen because other people will also pick that thing up and use it to change their lives. And, yeah. uh, and we just, we need to embrace the truth that that's what open source is for. Um, and, and not be upset when it changes their lives in like, if it changes your life, that's not at the expense of mine. Yeah. Right. And I think we've sort of gotten into a loop lately in especially large open source companies, um, where they've kind of forgotten that. Like, the the because it's harder to put that on a spreadsheet you know yeah. it's harder to put on a spreadsheet like what's the uplift that we got from you know HashiCorp being open source and terraform being broadly adopted and lots of people putting their time and effort into evangelizing that tool and using it in their lives and embracing it in the fabric of their careers only now it's not a thing that they can embrace in the fabric of their career in the same way anymore and like were they duped you know, did they feel, how do they, how do you feel when that happens to you? And so I think if it's going to be a change on the order of magnitude, we, we hope that it is, it has to be open source and it has to be open source in a way that allows people to thrive in ways that I can't predict. Well, why don't you do a shout out how people can find the product again? We already mentioned the website, but you know, are you on, can we follow you on social media? On... Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you can find system initiative at systemanit.com. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm most active on Twitter. I'm Adam HJK on Twitter or X or whatever we have to call it nowadays. <laughs> um, I'm also on like Blue Sky and Mastodon. Um, I'm not hard to find. 
Um, the you can follow System Initiative uh, on YouTube if you want to ch check out what we're doing week over week. You can also come join the Discord. Um, there's a pretty lively Discord um, full of folks talking about both System Initiative itself, but also sort of broader DevOps problems. Um, and yeah, and on adventures in DevOps. And then find the DevOps. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, one thing we like to do with this show is picks. And I think uh, System Initiative sounds like an amazing pick. We've already covered that ground, though. Uh, sure. Do you have a pick you'd like to share with uh, our audience today? Yeah, so I have, I have two, neither one of which awesome. are technology. Awesome. Um, so one is, is, is music. So there's a band called Beartooth, which is uh, like a metalcore band called Beartooth. Beartooth records, historically, pretty dark. Let's just call them dark. And their like main songwriter, vocalist, uh, sort of had a life epiphany, where he like moved to California and got sober, and realized that he could like maybe be a good person who is happy, uh, and so wrote a whole record about uh, about kind of becoming happy, uh, and it's great. It's called The Surface, so you should listen to that. Um, it has a song on it called I Think I Might Love Myself, which is like a poppy metalcore song. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, cool. So that's one pick. And, and the other is um, I'm prepping a Traveler game. So Traveler is an old science fiction role-playing game. Comes back, mm -hmm. comes like all the way back from the 70s. Um, there's a great version of it that Mongoose publishes now. And I'm having a bunch of fun prepping a Traveler game. So you should play Traveler. Ooh. Awesome. Well, I'm going to pick two things also. Uh, slightly related to the topic today, I'm picking a book. I think I picked it before, but it's a great book. Uh, Modern Software Engineering by uh, Dave Farley came out. Yeah. Uh, or, I don't remember earlier this year or, or last year. Um, and it, it talks about a lot of the same sort of stuff that uh, that you talked about. Of course, he doesn't talk about the the paradigm that you do, but just sort of how to do development in a in a way that isn't slow and annoying and and mm -hmm. dumb. <laughs> so it's a great book. Um, and my other pick, I'm going to pick a game. I just, I have a Steam Deck that I've been using lately and Diablo 4 just came out on the Steam Deck. It's been out for a while if you don't use the Steam Deck, but I was too lazy to bother. So I've been playing Diablo 4. I played all the other Diablo games. It's kind of a nostalgia trip. So I'm enjoying it. It is a bit of a nostalgia deck. trip. It's dark though. Yeah. Diablo, <laughs> like it's like everywhere you go, it's grim dark. Yeah. You're like, it's a new village. We're starving to death. Like yes. they really, they're like, it's Diabloing, you know? Um, <laughs> Did you play Vampire Survivors? I have not played that one, no. That's another excellent Steam Deck pick. Uh, All right. Vampire Survivors, fabulous game. You basically like run around shooting. Like you don't actually control when you shoot. Your character just like shoots on an interval. Oh, and you pick okay. up random weapons that then become all the different bursts of particles that are flying all over the screen as giant okay. mobs of zombies come attacking you. And you just try to see how long you can survive. If you make it half an hour, you win. Um, okay. And but then there's this shocking amount of depth that unveils itself. Like it's like a it's a really lovely, well designed game. I'll check it out. Thanks for the recommendation. Got a bonus pick there at the end. Cool. Totally. Well, thanks Adam for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I wish you, you the well. best of luck with uh, System Initiative, and I'll be checking it out. It looks uh, pretty interesting. So great. Thanks for sharing with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. 